What's up, church? How you guys doing this morning? All right, sounds good, sounds good. Uh, a few years ago, when I felt like uh, God was calling me or, or guiding me or whatever uh, to, to plant a church here in Tiffin, uh, Kate and I, we both realized that eventually we're going to have to move to Tiffin, okay? And, uh, and there's really several reasons for that. Number one, uh, this is where the people are that we're trying to reach, right? Like this is where the church is. This is where the people that we're trying to reach are. And this is where our team is. That's you guys, or at least in the general vicinity. And so we knew that was a possibility. We knew that's something that we'd have to do. But moving and buying and selling a house, like that's just complicated, right? And there's a lot of things that come into that. And, and there's a lot of things to think about and a lot of decisions that have to be made. And that's just that whole process. Is, it's just a big deal decision. And I've told you guys over the last couple of weeks that that's been a decision that has been like weighing on me and weighing on Kate over the last few weeks. And we've been just trying to figure this out. And uh, this past week, we, uh, we had a house that we kind of liked, and we, uh, we put in an offer that we thought there'd be no way that they would ever accept. And uh, they, uh, I, Alicia, chef, our uh, realtor who goes to church here, she called us on that evening and was like, hey, they accepted your offer. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> And then she's like, she must have been able to, to hear the uncertainty in my voice because she said, well, aren't you excited? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? I don't know, man. I don't know if that's good or bad. But when it comes to, so we might be your neighbors, okay, to, I don't know, some of you guys in, in Tiffin. But uh, when it comes to our decision making, all right, by the way, Kate wanted me to tell you guys, second service people, to uh, not tell the kids because we haven't told them anything about that yet. And they got to switch schools and there's going to be a bunch of issues going on with that. So that's that. She's probably, she's in kids right now, so she doesn't even know that I did that. But you could tell her that I did what she asked me to do, okay? Um, but here's the deal. When it comes to decision making, all right, we, got, we all have questions. Like it's not like an easy thing. Uh, many decisions are very, very difficult. They could be so hard. And through this series, we have been looking at uh, three questions that we really need to ask ourselves. And it's really the grid that we need to run our decision making process through. And uh, if you run your decision making process through this grid, I can promise you one thing you will make better decisions. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in God, even if you're not into the whole God thing and you're like, I'm not buying into all this. If you run it through this grid, you will make better decisions. And the first thing we as Christians looked at, the first thing that we need to ask is uh, really before anything, before we find out what we want, before we decide what our kids want or what our boss wants or what our gut says or what our heart tells us or what makes the most logical sense or what makes the most financial sense, before any of that, we need to ask simply, what does God say about it? Okay, we're trying to figure this out. We have this problem that we're dealing with. Well, the first thing we should ask is, does God say anything about this problem? And this is what we call God's moral will. And you know how we get God's moral will and you know how we know God's moral will? is we find it in the Bible. Okay, that's what we got. This is God's message to us where he tells us how we should be living our life the right way, the way he designed it. And so as Christians, if God says uh, something about whatever decision we need to make, like it should be decisions made. 
like assuming that we obey what God says, it, that, sh- that should be it. It should make the decision process really easy because it's like, okay, well, I really want to do this. Even if it's something we don't, you know, we don't like, it's like not our way. But God says to go this way, and so I'm going to go with God's way. That's how it should be. Not that we always follow God. Not that we, any of us, we always obey God, which we don't because we're all sinners. We're all messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible people, including myself. Uh, but, uh, but that should be it. That should make the decision for us. But a lot of times, our decision is really based around something that God doesn't address. I mean, many decisions are neither right or wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Like, should I take this job or should I take that job? Like, that's not something that you're going to the Bible and saying, okay, did God say Zach Pinkerton in 2022 should take this job? You know, it's not there. God doesn't address anything like that. But God does give us principles about different decisions that we need to make. And so a lot of decisions, God gives us the freedom to choose. Now, a lot of us, we don't like that. You know, especially like for me, trying to figure out if I should buy this house. Like it'd be so much easier if God would just tell me no or yes. Like that's all I want to know. That's all I need. But he doesn't do that, all right? He gives us the freedom to choose. Like sometimes God just says, hey, you choose. If it's neither something between right or wrong, if they're both okay or, or neutral, he's saying you get the freedom to choose. But before making that decision within the freedom that God has given you, before deciding between something that's not wrong and something that's not wrong, we should ask ourselves if we feel any tension. And that's the second question that we looked at last week. Um, we've all been there before, right? When we're in some decision-making process, we're trying to make some decision, and usually they're big deal decisions, and uh, there's just like tension, you know what I'm talking about? Like it just doesn't feel right, like it's, it's something is just uneasy within us, and sometimes I think we call this our conscience, uh, other times uh, we just feel uncomfortable, and it's a feeling that if you're like me, we hate, because what's it do? It makes us second-guess our Decision. It makes us question maybe the way that we're leaning. And I think that is so, so good for us. In fact, we should pay attention to the tension when it comes to making a decision. Um, if there's any hesitation or any tension there, I think it's really, really a good idea to pay attention to that. And a lot of times is we just need to pause. Like, hold up. Don't react to it. Right? There's like a little voice in our head that wants us to, hey, make this decision fast, make this decision now. We need to, I think a lot of times it's so good for us just to pause and allow that tension to bother us. This helps us make better decisions. And we saw this in David's life in the, in the Old Testament last week. So uh, this grid or this filter that we run our decision-making process through, it begins with, one, what does God say about it? And two, do, if, if he doesn't say anything about it, and it's neither right or wrong, then do we feel any tension about it within the freedom that God has given us? And if so, we should pay attention to that. And the third thing we're going to look at, the third question that we're going to ask, the last part of this grid is simply, is it wise? Okay? And so um, those, are the, those are the three questions. That's the grid that we need to run um, our decision-making process through. So last week we looked at a time in David's life when he made a good decision by paying attention to the tension in his life. And today what I want to do is we're going to stick with David. We're going to fast forward a couple decades in his life where things are going really, really good. I mean, David's king at this point. Uh, he's been king for a long time. Uh, he's bringing justice. He's following uh, God's. He's following God as being king. In fact, you know what God describes him as? 
God of the universe describes David at this point in David's life as a man after God's own heart. And so David's got it going on. Uh, God even recognizes that. And even for David, like every king after David will be compared to him during this time. And so David, he's just doing a really, really, really good job. And then we watch him make the biggest mistake of his life, and it is going to cost him. So the story begins this way in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, in the spring when the kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, the author is trying to get us to understand something here. The author is trying to say, hey, this is not normal. This is actually a big deal. Because David, as king, his primary job is to protect his people. Okay, I think we all understand that. That is his main job. And uh, we see that or just in the chapter before, it's kind of like a montage the author gives us of David having, uh, of his God giving David victory after victory after victory after victory over all the nations, their enemies that kind of surround them, uh, surround the nation of Israel at this point. And, uh, and so David's been doing a really, really good job at that, and God has been blessing him in that way. But at this time, instead of going to battle and leading the army of Israel against their ruthless enemy, he sends someone else to do it. And David sits. He stays home. In fact, I think you can read this, that in the spring when the kings marched out to war, David remained. That's what the author is trying to get us to understand. When he was supposed to go, he chose not to go. Now, we don't know the circumstances around the decision that David made to stay. Like, we don't, we don't know. The author doesn't tell us. Um, I think we can all agree, like, it's not wrong to stay home, right? Like, that's not a sin by any means. It's not a right or wrong thing. But it's one of those decisions that we will see. It's just not going to be wise for him to send somebody else to do his job. You see, here's what we got to understand. A decision can be not wrong and unwise at the same time. We get that? Now let me repeat that. A decision can be not wrong and unwise at the same time. I mean, think about in your own life. Like, think about your greatest regret, okay? Maybe you can kind of lock that in. Um, my guess is that greatest regret really comes through a series of not wrong but unwise decisions. Not just like one, not just two, but like a series of them. And that's exactly what we're going to see here. So David stays home. In the next verse, it says, One evening, David got up from his bed, and he strolled around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Now, literally in the ancient Hebrew, in the original language, this is the Bible saying this woman, this woman is fine. She's very fine is what the Bible is saying. So she is a very, very, very good looking. David, he's up on the roof walking around at his, on his roof at night, which again is not a, it's not a wrong thing. You can do that. That's fine. Um, but people back then... Uh, is uh, like bathing on the roof was like a normal thing. Like you, you in theory, have privacy. Um, you're not doing it, you know, in a one-room house. kind of awkward to do that and get privacy. So you go up to the roof. And so uh, David's house, uh, for him, he, he was the highest point in the city. He's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And so the question that we, you know, can ask is, did he know that he was going to see someone taking a bath? No, probably not. Should he have known that it was a possibility? Yeah. He probably should, should have. And so here's David, again, not making a wrong decision, 
but he's, he's making an unwise decision where he's just at the wrong place at the wrong time. In the next verse, it says, so David makes another unwise decision. He sent someone to inquire about her. Again, this isn't wrong to do. He sends a servant to go say, hey, find out who that lady is. That's not wrong in and of itself. Um, and so he goes, but it's very unwise. His servant comes back and says, okay, uh, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, what we know from the Old Testament through this is that Uriah was one of David's, like, or one of David's, like, Top guys, okay, this is one of his best men. He, uh, David had this like elite fighting force, it's called the Mighty Men, which is a pretty sweet name. There's 37 guys that did like heroic stuff, and, uh, and Uriah is one of those guys. So this is a guy that David trusted. This is a guy that David had fought with. This is a guy who David um, knew really, really well. But when David sees Uriah's wife, he can't seem to help himself, and he can't stop thinking about her. And he makes unwise decision after unwise decision after unwise decision until the next verse. It says, David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Bam. Wrong decision. All right, here's where he makes the bad decision. That's what unwise decisions lead to. This is what we got to understand. All right, unwise decisions, they lead to making the wrong decisions. Unwise decisions, when we make it, it makes it easier and easier and easier to make the wrong decision. It's like what we do is we flirt with unwise decisions and we think to ourselves and we, we um, kind of argue it within our mind. We're like, hey, this isn't wrong. Like, this isn't bad. Maybe it's not the best, but it's not like, it's not like bad. And we do that over and over again. And then eventually we find ourselves making the wrong decision. Uh, how many of you guys, like me, grew up with um, like a curfew, like a time you had to be home? We do that? Okay. Like... Most of us, the rest of you guys were free, and it shows up in your adult life now. Just saying, okay? Um, but, uh, but I, like, when I was growing up, I had, on, like, the weekends and stuff, uh, when I was in high school, I had to be home by, like, 11.30, I think. That was, the, so that, I, I know, that was the time. It was 11.30. And, uh, and so what would happen as a kid, and I think I'm not the only kid who would be doing this. I'd be at a friend's house. We'd do, be doing stuff. We'd be in the middle of something. And it'd be, like, 11.15, and let's say it takes 15 minutes to get back to home, and what am I doing? I could stay a few more minutes, you know. It's not wrong. I could, I could, if I don't hit a train, I'll be good, you know. Especially you tiffin people, you got trains all the time. Um, if I don't hit a, if I don't hit a train, or if I hit all the lights, I'll be set. And so, what do you do? You stay a few more minutes. And then, what happens? Uh, you know, then after when those few minutes are up, you're like, you're looking at the time. You're like, I could stay a few more minutes. I could get home in ten. I could stay a few more minutes. And you keep on making these series of unwise decisions. And then, what happens? You get home late. And if you don't sneak in perfectly, or you got to close the door real quiet, and you got to sneak into your bed. And if you don't do it and your parents find out, which is what would happen to me quite often, all right, I would try to sneak in and it just didn't work out that well. Um, you know, parents, for me, there would be consequences. Like I'd be grounded the next day. I'd get in trouble. And I didn't like that. And so it, what happens is it's just a series of unwise decisions that aren't necessarily wrong, like they're true. Yeah, if you don't hit the train, you will make it you speed, you know, that type of thing, but that ends up being a wrong decision. See, after that night, that's what we see here in David's life. Bathsheba goes home, and everything seems good, and there's no issues, and 
you know, for David, he's probably got a little bit of regret inside, but he's just like, you know what, nobody has to know. Like, isn't that how we think, by the way? When we do something wrong or we make the wrong decision, don't we think like, well, it didn't hurt anybody. We reason in our minds. We reason with ourselves. Well, it didn't hurt anybody. Well, it's just a one-time thing. I will never, ever do that again, but I'm all right. Uh, It's just not that big of a deal, but that is simply not true. See, you are not the only person impacted by your decisions. Uh, here at uh, Grace, there's a few guys that have been getting into disc golf. Do any of you guys play disc golf? Hardly anybody. Okay, there's a few of you. <laughs> All right, yeah. Some of you guys are professionals. I see you, Chris, looking at you. Um, but anyway, I used to play disc golf all the time when I was in college, and I was, like, pretty good. Some, we'd go, like, three, two, three times a day. Um, just, uh, just a fun thing to do. And I haven't played for a long time. I don't even know where those discs went and anything like that because all the discs are kind of different. It's kind of crazy. And, um, and so lately there's been a group of guys here that have been going to play disc golf at Hedges, and I've been going with them. And I, you know, first I'm going, and I'm like, man, I'm like better than any of these guys. But I stink. Like, I'm not good anymore. I don't even know. I'm like, how am I? This used to work for me, and it doesn't work anymore. And so I'm like, in my mind, I'm like blaming it on the, well, I don't have the same disc. I don't even remember what those were. And this is different chords. You know, all this stuff. But I'm just not that good anymore, and I hate it. It bothers me. It irritates me a lot because I'm competitive. I do not want to be one of the worst ones, which I am right now, and I will admit that to you. But not for long. Okay, so anyway. Uh, Last week, I, uh, I went across the street to the park, which is a very convenient place to have a park that we won't have anymore, <laughs> okay, to, um, in Green Springs, where I live. Went across the street to the park, and they have, like, nice ball diamonds, and nobody ever uses them, which is awesome. So I go, and I'm just, throw- I'm just like, practicing throwing, okay? I'm practicing throwing the discs. And my kids run out there, and they're, like, I'm trying to get them, like, hey, they're like picking them up. I'm like, run that back to me, you know, so I don't have to go get it. It's not really working all that well. And uh, they're kind of throwing them around and stuff. And eventually it gets dark, and you know, or dusk or whatever. And so it's like, well, it's time to go home. And so there's a gate at the, at the end of the, or in the middle of the outfield where I'm throwing these. And I'm picking them all the discs because they're all over the outfield. And I'm throwing them in to the gate. Well, my kids are exiting that gate. And I'm just getting it in the vicinity. And... Uh, I nailed my middle kid, my middle son, Wes. I nailed him in the back of the neck. And these are like hard. And I was like, dude, and it hit him hard. It was a good throw. Not an accurate throw, but it was hard. It was, it was, it was launched. And, um, you know, he starts crying. I'm like, man, that could like paralyze a kid. I don't know, like it's right in the back of the neck. And he runs to mom and he's like, he did it on purpose. And I'm like, I'm not that good, you know. But, uh, yeah, I wish I could have done that on purpose. That would have been a better thing. But, you know, that's just an example, a dumb example of our decisions, while me throwing that disc in that direction is not wrong by any means, it affected him. You know, it affected others. It didn't just affect me. It affected um, at least one person around me in a very negative way. And so here's what we got to understand. Our decisions impact the people around us. We are not the only person impacted by our decisions. In fact, if you think about it, we have no idea the extent of who is impacted by the decisions we make. We don't know. We might think we know. We might think we have a general idea, but we have no idea. See, generations of people could very well be impacted by our decisions that we make today. 
Does it kind of freak you out a little bit? I mean, does it? Where it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a true statement. Generations of people can be impacted by the decisions that we make today. I mean, think about it. In your own life, like your great, 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 great grandparents, okay, um, they made small decisions that determined the trajectory of your life. Like, it just happened that way. And some decisions that determine whether you even have life that they made. And they're not thinking about you. They didn't even know that you were going to exist. But you are impacted in a big, big way. I mean, for us, even our private and personal decisions impact others. I mean, isn't it kind of funny that, you know, if you're like me, um, it bothers us when people around us get in our business you know what I'm talking about? Okay? Or they try to make the decision for us, or they're like super pushy on like, you need to do this, or you need to do that, that type of thing. But the honest truth is, our, often our personal decision, whatever that might be, do end up affecting them. It ends up becoming their business, in a sense. Even with this house that Kate and I are in the process, I guess, of, of buying, um, it affects our kids. Like, this is the kind of stuff that like, is constantly running through my mind. I'm like, what's this going to do? What's this going to affect? Who's this going to affect? How is this going to affect? And you think about, like, even kids. Like, it affects what school my kids go to. It affects who their friends are going to be. It affects what they're going to be into or what's going to affect their interests. And it could affect where they go to college or if they go to college or who they're going to marry or their future career or my grandchildren someday. You know, it affects all that. All will be affected by this decision that we make. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Our decisions affect others. And that's the same thing in David's life. See, at this point, David's thinking, he's like, man, we're good. No one's going to know. It's a one-time thing. It's not that big of a deal. It doesn't affect anybody. We'll just never, ever, ever talk about it again. We'll just act like this whole thing never happened until a few weeks later, Bathsheba sends a note to David, and he opens this baby up, and it reads, I'm pregnant. Now David's got a big problem. All right, on his hands. And instead of facing what he had done and owning up to it like a man, he comes up with a plan to hide it, which I feel like so many of us so often do. And so what's he do? He calls Uriah home from the battle, and he says, hey, Uriah, why don't you come uh, give me an update on what's going on with the war? That, By the way, David should be there leading, but he's not. He has somebody else doing his, doing his work there. And so Uriah comes home. He gives him the update of what's going on. And then David's like, hey, man, you've been gone for like, for like months, you've been, you've been doing a really good job. You're one of my mighty men, one of my most trusted guys. Why don't you go home and spend some quality time with your wife? And David leaves. And the next morning, David wakes up, and Uriah is sleeping outside of his gate of his palace. And David's like, yo, Uriah, you went home last night, right? And Uriah's like, no, man, I could not do it. All right, I, how could I go home and uh, sleep with my wife and sleep in my own bed within my house while all my men are out there in the battlefield sleeping on the ground. I just couldn't do it. I just didn't feel right about it. I mean, think about it. Uriah sounds like a pretty good dude. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's top notch. And so David's like, dang, that didn't work. Okay. Well, he comes up with another plan. He says, all right, well, then I want you to do this, Uriah. Stay here one more day. And, uh, and come, let's, we'll, we'll go out to eat later. And so they go, they have a big, they have a big like feast type thing. And uh, David gets Uriah all good and drunk and takes him and points him in the direction of his house. And he's like, hey, Bathsheba's there, by the way, go. And Uriah still doesn't go. He wakes up the next morning, Uriah's there at his gate. 
And so David, none of his stuff is working. None of his plans uh, to hide his wrong decision is, is working. By the way, that's usually what happens when we try to hide our bad decisions. It just doesn't work. Right? The word gets out. And so now David makes another terrible decision. And he's like, well, I can't get this to happen. So he, he writes a letter to Joab, his commander. And he says, hey, this is what I want you to do with Uriah. And when he gets back, I want you, when you guys, the next battle that you guys are in, put him at like the front lines in the center of everything. And when the battle's getting hot and when it gets like, when it's getting crazy, I want you guys all to pull back and allow the enemy to kill Uriah. And he takes that letter, he signs it, he seals it, and he hands it to Uriah and says, hey, why don't you give your commander this letter? Hey, appreciate it. You know, good luck out there. And Uriah leaves. And sure enough, in the next battle, Uriah gets killed. And Joab sends the letter back to David and says, hey, it's done. We took care of it. And so Bathsheba mourns. She's lost her husband. But she's also pregnant, and so David takes her in and marries her, and truly really to the outside, I mean, think about it. We'll look at what it looks like. It's like, wow, what a great, wonderful man. He is going to raise somebody else's baby. That is like, wow, I cannot believe that. That is such a nice, nice thing to do. And everything is like good now. And I'm sure, again, that David, you know, he, he doesn't seem to be acknowledging what he's done, but I'm sure he has some sort of regret. I'm sure something's at least bothering him on the inside because, again, he's a man after God's own heart. But think about it. In David's, you know, messed up view, it's, it, it's done. It's over. Like, what can he do about it now? David's his wife, or Bathsheba's his wife now. And so a few months pass. The baby's born, and, you know, there's excitement there, and I think that helps mask a little bit what has happened, and everything seems to be good, and David feels like he's, you know, gotten away scot-free, but then there's one last verse in chapter 11. It says, however, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. However, God knew. However, God's always watching, something we need to remember. However, God saw everything. And so God sends a messenger, this guy named Nathan. He's actually a friend of David. He's a prophet. And he schedules an appointment with King David. And he basically comes to David and he says, hey, David, uh, by the way, look what you have done. And he started, you know, really, I think he points out, you started with a bunch of little, like, not wrong but unwise decisions. And it led to a guy named, da you know, a guy like David, a man after God's own heart, sleeping with his friend's wife and then having his friend killed to try to cover it up. And this decision comes with a bunch of consequences. I mean, it just does. It affects everybody around him that he's not thinking through in the moment. It just doesn't affect Uriah, which obviously it affects in a big way. He gets killed out of it. Uh, he doesn't, it just doesn't affect Bathsheba, who loses her husband and then gets pregnant out of it. it from, from this point on, David's family, if you read the rest of the book, David's family becomes a mess. It is a disaster. I mean, later on, he's got a, he's got a son who rapes his half-sister, David's daughter, and then that's the son of, or one of his other sons, who is a full-blood, you know, brother to that sister, he goes and he kills that first son, and then he's got another son that takes over um, and, uh, and kills off another one of David's sons. He's got another son who, 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 
dethrones David for a while. It's just all this stuff is happening, and it's just a mess. And really, from a human standpoint, we can look at David's life from this point on. Before everything was going good, when he was following God, he was making wise decisions. He was listening to the tension, which we looked at last week. And from this point on until after, from a human standpoint, his life is ruined. His family's a mess. He's got, his children are murdering each other. I mean, it is just a disaster. And by the way, for some of us, maybe for a lot of us in here, that's like our biggest fear. That we will make some dumb decision and we will find ourselves outside of God's will and we will find ourselves outside of God's plan. And this is what we do. We view God's will kind of like a dot, okay? And so it's just a dot that uh, we view God's will that we can step on. And so it's like, all right, once I'm on this dot, it, I, I can't step off. So I'm, on, I'm in God's will. I got, I'm in God's plan. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. He's got to guide me through life. This is what we think. And, uh, and if I step off that dot, I'm not going to be able to get back on that dot. For example, if I marry the wrong person, well, now I'm stuck. And now I'm out of God's will, and I don't know how to get back on God's will. Or if I, or if I was married to the right person, and then, you know, things just didn't go well, and, and we divorced, and, and we separated from each other, and now she or now he's married to somebody else, and I'm stuck out here, how am I supposed to get back on the dot? I don't know what kind of, you know, I've made such a big mistake. Or maybe we're on the dot, and it's like, okay, should I take this job or that job? And we choose this job. But then as we get into that job, we're like, wow, that was the wrong decision. This job isn't going the way that I thought it would go, and I really wish I would have taken that job. That would have been perfect for me. Why did I make such a wrong decision? But that job's not available anymore. It's just like, you know, we feel like, well, what do I do? I'm off God's will. How do I get back on track? But see, God's will is not a dot. It's not a dot in our life. It's more like a circle. Think about it like this. I'm talking about God's moral will here. Um, it, it, pretend like there's a circle, like, surrounding the stage. This would be God's moral will, which remember, we talked about kind of last week, where it's like God's given us a set of principles, and he's telling us how to live our life in the Bible. And what's he got? He gives us the freedom to make choices within the boundaries of, what he's, of how we should live our life. Last week, I, I mentioned to you how sometimes my kids will come up and they'll say, hey, can we go outside? And of course, I'm like, yeah, go outside. Please, please go outside. And, uh, and I, but I'll give them, you know, boundaries. I'll say, but don't cross the sidewalk in front of the house, right? I don't want them in the road. And that's for their own good. And so they'll go out and do stuff, whatever they do. You know, they do a bunch of crazy stuff. And so, but what I don't want is for them, and this is what some of us, this is what we really want, is we want uh, to know every single step that God wants us to take. Should I go forward? Should I go over here? Should I go over here? God, just tell me where you want me to go. I don't want my kids coming up to me when they go outside and saying, Okay, uh, Dad, so for, for two minutes, we're going to do this, and then we're going to go do this for a little while. What, what do you want us to do after that? Can we go over here? Can we play in this over here? Should we play on the trampoline or in the sandbox? What, what do you want us to do? I don't care, you know? Like, I want them, I, I enjoy allowing them to have the freedom to choose what they want to do within the boundaries that I've given them. God's moral will. Right? So it's not a dot 
We can't mess up God's plan for our life. We are to, and we have freedom. So we have the ability to roam around and we have the ability to make all these decisions that aren't necessarily right or wrong. They're just neutral decisions that we get to choose. And God enjoys, I think, watching us choose that. But every single one of us, we're all in the same boat, that every single one of us, we all step across the line, don't we? I mean, we're all sinners, right? And so we rebel against God's moral will. We, we rebel against the way that God wants us to live our life, and we step outside. And for us, it's like, well, what do I do now? I'm not even in his moral will. I'm not even, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not in there. And the, the thing we got to understand is that's where God's sovereign will comes in. That's his plan. All right? And, and picture his sovereign will is like, I don't know, something big. Like, let's just say the earth. Okay, you can't walk off of it. Okay, you can't outwalk his sovereign will. You can't get out of his plan. You can't mess up his plan, which is really, really, really good news to us because, I mean, if we could, we would. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we can't mess up his plan, which is really, really good news. We can't mess it up. God can, that's where the recalibrate comes in. It's like God's will, in a sense, recalibrates and he uses it. I mean, we see this in David's life, right? We see David, um, he shouldn't have had an affair with uh, Bathsheba. He shouldn't have killed off his friend Uriah. Like, obviously, those are horrible, horrible, terrible things. But then what, what do we see later on in his life? Well, he has another son with Bathsheba named Solomon who happens to be the next future king of Israel, which then, what do we see, happens to be in the bloodline of Jesus, the future king. That saved every one of us, you know, here today. Those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus. It affects us here. And he used David's mistake to do that. It didn't mess up his plan. And so the really, really, really good news for us is we can get back into God's moral will by making good, right decisions. And sometimes it's not just as easy as, like, jumping back in. Sometimes you got to work around, right? Like sometimes it takes a bunch of steps that we got to fix something in our life. But the good news is we can get back in God's moral will and we cannot mess up his plan. And even when we mess up, even when we, even when we screw up and we, we, we sin and we do the wrong thing, sure, we often face consequences for our bad decisions. We've all experienced that. But we still are a part of God's plan. And that's the good news. We can't walk away from his sovereign will. We can't outwalk his plan, no matter how bad we mess up. But God still wants us to make good decisions. And so to wrap up this series here this morning, really, I want to just take us to a verse in the New Testament that I think just sums it up so well. And I want you to think about this. It's in Ephesians 5. Think about this. God is telling you this, this morning. This isn't me. This isn't Zach Pinkerton. All right, this is God telling you individually. He's saying, hey, this morning and this week, I want you guys to pay careful attention then to how you walk, meaning how you live your life, meaning the decisions you make. You need to pay careful attention to the decisions that you make. Why? Because, number one, they affect other people. He says, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Making the most of your time because days are short and the days are evil. 
So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, when we're asked, trying to figure out what God wants for our life and what his will is, what's his plan, how do we fit into that plan? We need to recognize the freedom that he gives us within the boundaries that he also gives us. And then sometimes I think we just need to ask, like, well, is it wise? Is this a wise thing for me to do? Instead, you know what I normally do? <laughs> what I do? You know, it's, well, can I get away with it? You know? Or how close can I get? Or is it, is it that bad? But that's not how Christians are to make decisions. Our filter is better than that. Right? It's not, we don't ask for, we don't settle for even, hey, is this good? Or is this legal? Or is this acceptable? Or is this the industry standard? That's not, that's not what we ask for. When we're, that's not the grid that we use. When we are making decisions, we run our decision-making process through the grid of, number one, what does God say about it? And if he doesn't say anything about it, and it's neither right or wrong, then we ask, okay, well, do I feel any tension in my heart about it? And if there is, we don't necessarily always follow the tension, but we do pay attention to the tension. And number three, we ask, is it wise? Is this the wise thing for me to do? Because our life is really a sum total of our decisions. And if you can make better decisions, the people who look up to you, the people who depend on you, the people who work for you, their lives will be better. And your life will be better as well. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for these words. And God, we thank you for teaching us how to make good decisions. And God, we know and we thank you that you're so powerful that we, we can't like make so many wrong decisions that we're just stuck outside of your will or stuck outside of your plan. You can use any decision really that we make even if it's not the best one. And it's like almost like your will recalibrates and it, it changes and you, your plan still happens. We can't mess that up. God, we ask that you would help us as Christians here, as a church family, to just live our life in general making better decisions and looking towards you for that guidance. And God, we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.